It's uh, great to see you guys this morning. Uh, good morning. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, welcome to Redemption Gateway. Uh, for those of you who are watching us online, it's great to have you uh, with us as well. Um, this is a, a fun day, actually. Uh, we'll get into that text here in a minute, but I, I want to celebrate some stuff first, and there's never quite a perfect place to put this. You know, when we kind of arrange services, it's like, where are we going to talk about this? But we have some financial stuff to uh, update you on and to celebrate uh, with you about. So uh, one of the traditions we have here at Redemption Gateway is uh, every Christmas we do a Christmas offering. We pick a number of different causes and we decide to uh, celebrate those and to give kind of over and above our regular giving to those things. This year, the whole theme of it was uh, that we were trying to create a place to belong. And so we uh, gave to um, a project called AZ Reach. They're going into schools and creating these small group experiences for young men and women in at-risk communities uh, to try to help them develop into mature, responsible adults. It's all based on biblical principles. That's one place we were investing. Another place we were investing was with Immigrant Hope. Immigrant Hope provides legal services that are accredited through the Department of Justice for people that are trying to take good steps toward legal status and uh, legal processes. Very confusing, very expensive. Immigrant Hope uh, provides it at a really low cost and effective uh, kind of way. The other thing that we gave to was Punto Zero, and that's a part of a ministry in Juarez, uh, Mexico, and um, we were able to be able to raise some money for them. What they do is they provide kind of a, a place for people with severe mental illness and other sorts of challenges. And actually my wife and some other ladies from the church got to be down there this past week and, and Molly came back and just said, they are literally saving lives. And the gift that we're giving is going to really go a long way to save lives. And so they're in kind of partnership with our other partners there called Missions Ministries. Uh, but those were the three causes that we gave to. And, uh, you know, we, we told you about it every week, but we didn't try to guilt you into anything or beat you over the head with it. We just said, hey, you can give to this. And your response was amazing. And so I'm here to report today uh, that for last year's Christmas offering, you gave over $204,000. Wow. Uh, just so you know, that's $70,000 more than has ever been given to a Christmas offering. So that is absolutely amazing. Uh, we're so thankful. And uh, one of the things that we realize is when you give a gift, you'd like to kind of watch somebody open it. And so over the last week, we've had a chance. I mean, how fun is it to like hand somebody some really massive check, right? Like it's really not like a, you know, massive check, but like a... <laughs> big amount. It's super fun. And uh, we didn't want to be the only ones that got in on it. So we just kind of grabbed our phones. The video quality is not super high, uh, but we wanted to give you just a chance to see these partners, um, kind of see who they are and watch them uh, open the gift that you gave. So take a look. Hey, Redemption Gateway. I'm here with uh, the Immigrant Hope staff. They provide uh, high quality legal and immigration services for folks at a very low cost. And uh, as a part of our Christmas offering this year, you all gave to support this incredible ministry that actually um, offices out of the same building as Redemption West Mesa, which Chris Amaro and Josue lead. Josue is over here. Um, anyway, we're going to give them the check that you all gave and uh, just let them know that we love and appreciate them. So oh, there you are. You can open that up if you'd like. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, Let's see. Hold me, hold me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, oh, very, very generous. Oh, that'll help you. out a little bit. Wow. This will help out. Oh, awesome. Wow. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Wow. Thank you so much. And God awesome. bless you. And um, we just appreciate you guys so much. 
Thank, thank you. Thank you. Keep yeah. the good work. Thanks so much for what y'all are doing. We uh, we love and support you guys. So. Hi, Redemption Gateway. I'm Christina Adams, and I'm here in Juarez, Mexico. And I'm with Adrian, who is the Director of Missions Ministries, who we partner with here in the Colonias and support all their endeavors with the community. And um, so I'm here to present to him the gift that you guys were able to collect together as a church. So Adrian, on behalf of your brothers and sisters in Arizona, we want to present this check for you um, for your work with Punto Cero and uh, your partnership. So. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. We're, we're super excited to partner with Redemption Gateway and also with Punta Zero for helping our brothers and sisters um, who have different needs, whether they are physical or, or mental, but are all God's children. And wow, that is an amazing amount of money to support so many neat projects that are going to be coming up. I'm really overwhelmed and uh, just super grateful for the partnership with Redemption. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey everybody, I'm here with Juan Chavez. You guys remember him from when he stopped by to visit at Gateway. And uh, we are so excited to partner with him and AZ Reach uh, with this year's Christmas offering. And I wanted you all to have a chance to see him open our gift. So Juan, we love you guys. Thanks. We have Redemption Gateway. This is for you. Awesome. Thanks, Redemption Gateway. We appreciate it. Oh, God, bro. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, we're excited, man. Love you guys. Keep up the great work. <clears throat> oh, God is faithful, man. He's so faithful. Unbelievable. You guys are so generous. So generous, man. Yeah. Well, it's fun to uh, just bless what God's already blessing. So <laughs> keep it going, brother. We love you. Uh, Redemption Gateway, listen. Uh, <clears throat> unbelievable. Unbelievable. God, <laughs> you know, I don't know, man. I, you set, you think, you know, you, as, as I'm thinking ahead and praying about things in the future and God, if this comes in, you know, here's where we'll move. I mean, surpasses it by like a ton. So uh, thank you so much for trusting the Lord and, and what you're giving and, and trusting us and what God's called us to do. And, and we want to continue to be faithful and hearing from the Lord and, and reaching out to these students he's putting us in front of. Unbelievable, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you and your church. And yep. We love you. Love y'all. I mean, golly, how fun is that? And uh, I just am so thankful that we are a generous church. And uh, that's not one of our official core values. It's just part of the DNA of, of who God has made us as a local congregation. I'm so thankful we serve a very generous God. Amen. God gave his very best. And uh, you all are so generous and we're so thankful for that. And so along those lines, um, I just want to give you a quick update on last year's just sort of overall uh, giving. And so uh, the budgeted need for last year was $3.25 million. Uh, the actual expenses that our staff and volunteers and people that are kind of involved in managing those expenses uh, came just underneath that, uh, under 3.5%. I was like to say, don't you wish your government could do that? That's uh, not going to happen. Um, and, uh, but you all, again, were very generous. Uh, you gave 
man, almost, uh, almost $3.5 million. So just over 7% above our budgeted need. Thank you so much for that. And that creates a surplus of $362,000. Uh, just so you know how that works is 70% of that surplus uh, goes into kind of re uh, redemption gateway reserves that we can use for other projects down the line. 30% of that goes into reserves for all of Redemption Church and helps uh, extend the work that God is doing uh, through that. So the total amount of giving then, when you, when you think about this, when you think about the general giving, when you think about the Christmas offering, uh, we gave $55,000 for a trailer uh, for a church that got robbed, and we just kind of one Sunday took an offering for that. Uh, camp scholarships, missions, benevolence, lots of stuff. Total amount of, given, of money given this year was $3.98 million, just shy of $4 million. So thank you. Uh, praise God. And uh, th that, that money represents mission. It represents lives being touched and lives being changed and your investment in that and your partnership as we work together as a church family, just a huge, huge blessing. So thank you so much. Uh, also, if you would like kind of uh, information about our 2022 budget, I, we have these half sheets. These are out at the info desk. Uh, we wanna be transparent. This will tell you kind of uh, in the categories of where this breaks down, how much is personnel, facilities, uh, central ops, ministries, that sort of stuff. So if you're kind of interested in the weeds and the details of some of that, uh, you can pick Pick up one of those at the info desk. We want to just be as open as we can about that uh, with you. Our current uh, or our budget for 2022 is going to be $3.45 million, which is uh, just shy of what you gave last year. So we're trying to be conservative um, and still be able to meet the needs that God has called us to meet. So uh, let me take a minute and pray and just thank the Lord. Uh, Father, we thank you for your provision and, and God for the ministry that happened over this past year. Um, through these resources. And so, God, I'm so thankful. Uh, I'm, God, I'm thankful for the, the ministry that will happen in the days to come through that Christmas offering gifts. And Lord, we just ask you to um, multiply it. Lord, when I put up those numbers with all those commas, it just feels so big. And yet when I think about the need in the world, it feels like we're coming to you with a few loaves and fish. And so, God, I pray that you would even multiply it that you would multiply the impact, that you'd multiply the life change, that you'd multiply the people who are fed and nourished, uh, literally, but also fed and nourished through your word. And so, God, we pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, back to the Gospel of John. Uh, that's where we are today. Uh, if you didn't get your Bible out, make sure you open it to John chapter 18. Uh, we're going to spend some time in there uh, this morning. Um, and... Uh, I'm calling this message, when your best isn't enough, when your best isn't enough. Have you ever had a time when your best just wasn't enough? I uh, played baseball uh, through a lot of my life and uh, through uh, college and, uh, you know, ended up being a pretty decent college baseball player. But one of the things that would happen in high school and at the college level is uh, from time to time you would go to these different, uh, they called them sort of pro-style tryout workouts. And different scouts would come and different college coaches would come and different stuff like that would happen. And in baseball, uh, there's what's known as five tools. Occasionally you'll hear about a really incredible player like a Mike Trout or somebody like that, uh, you, know, who, uh, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., who's a five-tool player. The five tools are uh, running speed, throwing arm, defense, hitting, and hitting with power. I was a one and a half tool player. 
Okay, so I could hit and I had a little bit of power, but I didn't have a great arm and I didn't have a lot of great speed. And because of that, I wasn't really great on defense. And the interesting thing with these pro style uh, tryout workouts is you wouldn't get a chance to hit unless you were fast enough and had a good enough arm. So you'd run the 60 yard, yard dash and uh, you, know, you were trying to get somewhere underneath 7.0 on that, never happened for me. You'd throw from right field Right, the people who threw it on a line got to hit. The people who threw in a rainbow and a you know, bunch of bounces, uh, we didn't get to hit. And so I would go to these workouts and go to these tryouts and I would do my best and I would prepare and I had been working and I had been, but at some point, your best isn't enough. What do you do when your best isn't enough? Like we tell ourselves, hey, if you just do your best, that'll be enough. Well, not at a pro-style baseball workout. And not before God. What do you do when your best isn't enough? I think we see a story of that in this passage today. And so here's how I want to uh, do this. We, we, we're going to see in this, in this passage, we're going to look actually today, we, we only read verses 1 through 5. We're going to actually go through verses 1 through 27 and what I want to do is kind of walk this through, make sure we understand this story, and then pull out some lessons about humanity, because we're going to see some of the worst and some of the best of humanity, but we're going to see that all of that leads us to need something even more. So uh, let's pray. Let's ask God's help. Father, we ask you to help us as we open your word and as we uh, try to discover who you are. And God, thank you that when our best isn't enough, yours is. Teach us, encourage us, strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have your Bible, grab it, uh, John chapter 18. Uh, Jesus has uh, kind of, we're turning a page now in a significant way in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 16, Jesus was in the upper room, Last Supper, he's training his disciples, he's preparing them to go on mission into the world. Chapter 17, we have this really long prayer, we just spent the last three weeks looking at it. Uh, chapter 18, now it's really going down. All this stuff that Jesus has been predicting about going to the cross and dying for our sins and resurrecting, all that's about to go down. All that's about to happen. And the, the, the catalyst is here in chapter 18. So here's what it says. When Jesus had spoken these words, all, those, all that praying, he went out with his disciples across the, book, the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, I think it's just interesting how every time John mentions Judas, he's like, Judas, who betrayed him? Jesus, Judas, who betrayed him, don't ever forget, Judas, who betrayed him. He's like not the one we won't mention, he's the one we'll mention and mention every time that he betrayed him, right? That's who he is. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. That's interesting to me. Jesus isn't hiding. He's not in some obscure place. He's where he always was. He's where he knew Judas would find him. Judas finds him, verse 3. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers, that's referring to Roman soldiers, so we don't know how many this is, uh, but there would have been lots of soldiers around because they're preparing for the Passover feast. Lots of different people are in uh, the city of Jerusalem. These Roman soldiers are there to try to keep the peace. And somehow, uh, Judas, who's betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, other gospels tell us, has secured this band of soldiers, these Roman soldiers, and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. This would have been like the temple police. So this group of Jew and Gentile enforcers 
the Roman soldiers, the temple officers, they all show up. This is an intense scene. And it says that these officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, verse uh, 3, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. I mean, this whole story feels real cinematic, doesn't it? It's dark. There's a little fog in the air. Come the soldiers, the lanterns, the swords. Something intense is about to happen. Verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? Oh, I love this about Jesus. Jesus isn't shrinking back. Jesus isn't hiding. And Jesus isn't confused about what's going on. It says, knowing all that would happen, knowing that this is going to lead to his crucifixion, he doesn't shrink back. He doesn't say, hey, why don't you guys go? He steps forward. And he asks the question that actually keeps coming up in this gospel, whom do you seek? I don't know if you remember this because it feels like a long time ago when we started the gospel of John. But the first thing that Jesus says in the gospel of John is he asks a question, whom do you seek? And it's John's way of saying to us, as readers of his gospel, who do you seek? Who are you after? And he asks it again. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Now we have to add that word he in English, but in the original language, what he says is, I am. M. This was the name of God. This was the way that God revealed himself to Moses in the book of Exodus at the burning bush. Uh, God, when, when, you, when I go, who shall I say sent me? I am who I am, said Yahweh. And so they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, <laughs> mention that again, in case you forgot from five seconds ago. Judas was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now that's so interesting. And commentators debate on this. Was this like a Thor moment? You know, I am and the ripple goes out, you know, and they all fall back. Or perhaps uh, maybe people would say, you know what? They just, people are not used to someone being this bold, being this transparent, being this like, yeah, I, I am. That's who I am. Whatever the case is, the impact of Jesus saying, I am, this is who I am. Yes, I'm that person you're looking for, stuns them. So he asked them again, verse 7, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. He says it again. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he'd spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Jesus is saying, hey, I don't want to fight. I don't want to battle. Don't take my disciples with you. Just take me. Jesus is going to substitute himself for his disciples. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear, the servant's name was Malchus. Now, this is so interesting to me. Peter is a fisherman. Peter is bold. Peter's the one who he's going to die for Jesus. But this reminds me of uh, Dumb and Dumber. Some of you of a certain age, you remember Dumb and Dumber. Harry, you've got a gun, and you're a horrible shot, right? Because what's happening here is it's like, Simon, Peter, you have a sword. 
and you're terrible with it, right? Like no one tries to cut off someone's ear. What was he doing? He was trying to cut off someone's head and he missed, right? You just sort of imagine Peter, right? He's doing his best. We get the detail. This guy's name is Malchus. It says in other gospels that Jesus actually then healed the man. He reattached the ear. And here he says to Peter, verse 11, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus is saying, listen, there's going to be a sword. There's going to be bloodshed. There's going to be anger. There's going to be wrath. But it isn't going to come from us to our enemies. It's going to come on me. I'm going to drink the cup of God's wrath that he's given me. Verse 12, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. And in fact, that's what Jesus will do. He will die for the people. So uh, Caiaphas is officially the high priest. Annas is his father-in-law. And it gets confusing in this story because they're both referred to as the high priest. But it's actually not that confusing if you think about it. Right? Anytime someone's talking to a former president, what do they call him? Mr. President. Even if they're not currently the president, they, they were. And so that title still applies. And so he's led to the high priest's house, who's not exactly the high priest. And he'll be questioned there in just a moment. But first, we're told this in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. This other disciple's not named. People speculate, who was this disciple? Was this one of the 12? Was this somebody else? It seems like uh, you know, John often refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's kind of hesitant to name himself, and so perhaps it's John. But there was this other disciple who's there, and it says he followed, since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So this other disciple, someone who has an in with Annas and with Caiaphas and with that family, and so he somehow led into this. Uh, Peter is, is there, and it says in verse 16, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door, not a huge bouncer here, just a little servant girl, and brought Peter in, right? This other disciple's like, hey, he's with me. I know him. Let him in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire. I want you to remember that in a few weeks. Later on in the Gospel of John, this is going to matter, that there was a charcoal fire. Because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. And so then the next few verses are the high priest questioning Jesus. He's asking Jesus, hey, what's the deal? What's going on? Jesus is saying, listen, I've been totally transparent. I've taught everything in public. If you had a problem with what I said, you should have uh, you know, done something about it then. Jesus is struck by one of the soldiers. And then in verse 24, he is uh, sent bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So he goes from kind of past high priest to the next high priest. But while this is going on, it says in verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. It's interesting. Twice Jesus says, I am. And twice Peter says, I am not. 
one of the servants of the high priest, this is such an interesting detail, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, did I not see you in the garden with him? Because I feel like I would remember the face of the guy who cut off my, my relative's ear. Peter again denied it, verse 27, and at once a rooster crowed. Fulfilling what Jesus had said, that before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. This is getting intense. Jesus is headed to the cross. And there's so much in these 27 verses. There's so many different ways we could reflect on this. But what I think we see in this passage are three pictures of humanity. Three pictures of humanity I think they're worth reflecting on. The first picture is humanity at our worst. Humanity at our worst. We're reintroduced to Judas, but get this, the last time we saw Judas, what did we see? It was in John chapter 13, verse 30, and it said, so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went, he immediately went out, and it was night. Why does John say that it was night? Because Judas is going into the darkness. And Judas represents Humanity at its worst, light and darkness are this massive theme in the Gospel of John. Perhaps you were here when we talked about John 3.19. Jesus is talking about, this is right after he says, hey, I'm come to, uh, to give my life so that whoever believes wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And here's what he says in John 3.19. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So the last time we saw Judas, he was headed into the darkness. Humanity, you and I, the light of the world comes and we love the darkness rather than the light because our works are evil. And so now Judas returns to the scene and who does he have with him? The agents of darkness who must carry lanterns and torches, and swords. This is humanity at its worst. God comes, and we seek to destroy him. And by this, right, these are the Roman soldiers and the Jewish soldiers. All humanity is condemned in this story. There's not one people group that are privileged because of their ethnicity or their background. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, according to the scriptures. And what's amazing, this is humanity at our worst, is they are able to see the power of Jesus. They see his boldness. They see his courage. They see that he knows everything that's going to happen. And he steps forward and says, I am They come face to face with the I am, and they get so close. When they draw back and they fall to the ground, they're so, so close. Because isn't that what humanity was made to do? To fall down and to worship the I am. To worship the Lord of heaven and earth. That's what we're made for. They're so close. But they stand up and they arrest him. We're like this, aren't we? When confronted with an irrefutable truth, we go, nope, la, 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 la. I remember uh, when, I, you know, when Molly and I first moved out here, we were involved in college ministry. 
And uh, there was this one particular guy in our ministry who was kind of a Peter in the group. He was kind of a, you know, speak first, never ask questions, uh, sort of a, shape, uh, a foot-shaped mouth, so to speak. And, uh, and he would just always insist that he was right about stuff. And I remember one time we were sitting in this room, and I, I don't even remember what was happening, but we were sitting there. And there, at, at, at the church I was at, there was a high school across the street. And we were sitting in the room, and we were having, this is so stupid, we were having a conversation about what direction the high school was from where we were in the room, right? There were no windows, we couldn't see it. But it was like, a, how's your sense of direction? And he was like, the high school is right there. And everyone's like, no, it's right there. And he's like, no, I swear, it's right there. It's right there. It's right there. And this, like, this is how stupid college students and apparently their mentors are. We let this debate go on for like a long time. And at some point, someone had the brilliant idea, why don't we walk outside and see where the school is? And we walk outside, and it's like, do you see the school? It's right there. He's like, nope, it's there. You're just like, what a fool. But isn't that us? I mean, God has just filled this world with all these things that are unexplainable, full of mystery, full of wonder, full of beauty. They can only really be explained by him. And he's filled our hearts with this sense of morality and this sense of justice and this sense of what is right and this sense of love and affection that doesn't really seem to fit in a Darwinistic explanation of all that other stuff. It seems like we somehow have these longings for something beyond just dog eat dog. God is revealing himself all over the place, everywhere. And for us here in this room, we have had exposure to his word, not just the general revelation of creation, but the special revelation of his word. He said, here's who I am. Here's what I want. Here's how you can trust me. Here's how you can know me. Here's how you can follow me. Here's how you can experience life within the grain of creation that I created. And we go, no, I want to go that way. This is the essence of our sinful reality. The Bible says it this way. We, we love the darkness rather than the light. We exchange the truth for a lie and we worship and serve created things rather than the creator. That's Romans 1. And we try to find life outside of the source of life. This is humanity at our worst, at our most evil. It says this in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. The prophet says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. That's evil number one, the fountain of living waters. They, they walked away from me. There's a fountain of living waters here, and my people have rejected it. They've ignored it. They don't, they don't drink from it. And notice, the Bible says that's evil. That's not just normal. That's evil that we walk away from the fountain of living waters, but it gets worse. And number two, hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What this is saying is there is this fountain. There's this overflowing water of cold, pure, refreshing fountain. And we go, no thanks. I'm going to dig a hole in the ground and wait for it to rain. That'll be better. This is humanity at our worst. And C.S. Lewis, that great thinker and philosopher, argued that it wasn't that our desires were too strong, but they were too weak. He says this, we are half-hearted creatures, 
fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. See, we think that our problem is that we have too strong of desires. We have too strong of a desire for pleasure. What Lewis is saying is, no, it's too weak. Because we get filled up our pleasure tanks in these little muddy holes, and we were made for more. So let me ask you, in what way is this you? Having God revealed to you, seeing his beauty, seeing his goodness, seeing his grace, seeing his strength, and going, eh, meh. I know it feels normal to us, but it's humanity at our worst. And some of us will have the response, okay, well, then I need to start doing better. I need to do better. I just need to try harder. I need to be a better picture of humanity. All right, well, let's look at that then. Let's look at number two, humanity at our best. Before we focus on the failure of Peter, I think it's, right, we looked at the last time we saw Judas. Let's look at the last time we saw Peter. Here's the last time we saw Peter, John 13, 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Now we know from this story that he's gonna fail at that, but this is what he's after. God, I'm committed. God, I'm all in. I wanna go where you're going. Yes, you're gonna suffer and die. I wanna go with you. I'll lay down my life for you. And there is, there must have been something in Peter that Jesus saw, don't you think? But one of the best things you can do with your kids, with the people around you that you love, one of the best ways to encourage them is to have what, what you could call I see in you conversations. Can I tell you what I see in you? I see courage and I see strength and I see a willingness to step up. And when a lot of people shrink back, you step forward and And I see a gentle and quiet spirit. And I see that you don't always have to have your voice heard. But when you speak, it's really wise. And I speak that, you know what? You do speak first and you do speak quickly, but you speak with strength. And I see these things, right? And to have these kinds of I see and you conversations, man, what a great way to bring people along. And and, and surely Jesus must have seen something in Peter, right? Because think about Peter. He's one of the inner three, right? There's There's the 70 who go out and do ministry. There's the 12, and then there's the three. And Peter, who we want to go, oh, he's just a knucklehead. Well, he was at least one of the three. He's one of the three, right? What did the three get to see? They got to see Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. They got to see the transfiguration of Jesus on the, on the mountain. They got to listen in on the garden prayer. It's a privileged status. Peter, he's the one who steps up, right? When they go, hey, Jesus goes, hey, who does everybody say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Ding, 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 he's right. Right, Jesus is walking on the water. Everyone's like, this is a ghost, this is crazy. Who is it? Who's the only one who was like, that looks pretty cool and stepped out of the water? Who was it? It was Peter. Like to go, oh, but he looked at the wind and the waves. He looked away from Jesus and he fell apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there were 11 guys quaking in their boots in the boat. And he stepped forward. We're hard on Peter. But I think Peter here is actually a really strong picture of this is humanity at our best. 
We like to critique this. But, but maybe we should appreciate it for a moment. I love the quote by Teddy Roosevelt. He says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who actually does strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who is at the best, knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Yeah, Teddy, tell him, right? And so I look at Peter and I go, he's in the arena, and so before we critique him, let's appreciate, like, man, he's, he's stepping forward. But here's the thing. All that Teddy stuff goes out the window if you're disobeying Jesus. And so at his best, man, he's strong and he's courageous and he's stepping forward. But what is he doing? He's doing it in his own strength. He's not really listening He's not really surrendered. He's not really submitted. And isn't that what we are at our best? I'm going to do great stuff. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to win. Nothing's going to hold me down. I'm going to keep going. Growth mindset, grit, dot, dot, dot. Great. But if all you have is your strength, then all you have is your strength. Here's what the interaction had looked like in John 13. Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. In other words, you're not going to die now, but you'll follow me to death later. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. And yet Peter plows ahead in his own wisdom, and his own strength. And his passion, his, his heat has gotten him only so far, and now he's standing there cold and shivering in front of the fire. Think about our society's best. Like, like we've never had more education. We've never had better technology. We've never had more resources. How's it going? I feel like, man, we have really arrived. Like people are like, man, once you get kind of can harness the power of technology and growth and progress, like this is going to be incredible. And the 20th century was the bloodiest century ever. Because humanity's best is just humanity's best. Well, what about you? Have you reached the end of your best yet? Have you run that 60-yard dash? over and over and over, and it's still not under 7-0? Have you reached the limit of your best? See, this is why I think God maybe wisely and, and actually even kindly allows suffering in our lives and allows pain and allows trials. Lewis also, one of the things he said was that God whispers in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. And these pains, 
These trials, these sufferings are not there because God's trying to punish us. He's trying to go, hey, that dirty, muddy water doesn't taste real good. And even if you do your best to purify it, you still need me, the fountain. Let me ask you, some of you, there's a rooster crowing in your life right now. Can you hear it? You've tried your best. You've been committed as you can be. And it's not enough. And the rooster's crowing. Will it drive you to humility to realize that humanity at our worst for sure is not the answer, but even humanity at our best isn't the answer. We need something else. We need humanity at our truest. At our truest. See, your best is not good enough. And that's actually good news. Because in this scene, we see humanity at our truest. We see that Jesus' best is enough. See, the last time we saw humanity at its best, at its truest, what did we see? There was a garden. And in that garden, they walked with God in the cool of the day. And they were naked and they were unashamed and they were one and they were united and they were enjoying life with God. And then they believed the lie. They loved the darkness more than the light. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And darkness flooded in. And when that happened, humanity now fallen and shattered by sin, someone comes looking. Who comes looking? God comes and says, where are you? And humanity is hiding. And now in this story, we're in a garden again and it's reversed. Humanity's coming in the darkness, carrying the torches and they're looking for God, the I am. Only instead of looking to worship and love and adore and serve him, they're looking to kill him. And the I am boldly steps forward, does not hide, does not shrink back. He's had moments of trouble. He's had moments of anxiety. He's had moments of, I don't know if I can do this. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But those moments have passed. Those moments are over. He will not fight back, but he will not cower before his false accusers. He will drink the cup. And God will drink the cup of God's wrath so that humanity can re-enter the garden and have life at its truest again. Tom Wright says this, the true high priest will be sent to his death by the false one so that through his death, God will rescue his people. The true Adam will be sent to his death by the false ones so that the garden may be restored and instead of bloodshed, there may be healing and forgiveness. Listen, your best is not enough. And I just want I just want to let all my heart say, that's good news. Because if you trust Jesus, he's enough. And if you trust Jesus, then you're in Christ, then you're with Christ. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago. You have union with Christ. And so you're not enough. But in Christ, you're enough. He's come. Not to show us just the best of humanity, but to show us the truest kind. So we look to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this picture of Jesus, for this vision of Jesus. And God, some of us, uh, we're at our worst. 
we sort of know what's going on and we know the mud pies in the slums that we're making and uh, we know that we're trying to find water in places that it's not coming. And Lord, I pray that if, if that's us, that we would just turn from that and look to Jesus. God, others of us, we kind of feel pretty good about ourselves because we're at our best, feeling pretty disciplined, feeling pretty successful, feeling pretty motivated. But God, would you help us to see that either right now there's a rooster crowing or there's going to be if we just do it in our own strength. Help us to look to you. Help us to find you. Help us to experience the life. It can only come through Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.